the end of the series, Help, I'm a Church Member, is now in sight. So you can say amen or you can say you want more, I don't know. But this is the last message uh, in this series. Uh, Last week I came across a student at the Los Angeles Bible Training School And he uh, mentioned to me that he listened to the first message in the series. And he admitted and declared that this was the first time that he had ever heard a message on the church covenant. He's the same age as I am. Uh, He grew up in the church. He's a member in his church in good standing. And he's heard the church covenant read Many, many times, but he's never heard it preach. The covenant that we've been looking at needs to be heard, read, and preached. And when it's not, then we miss out on vital information on how we can be a better church member. Maybe your cry is not help. I'm a church member. If not, then you need to ask yourself an important question. It's a question that I located and found on one of the books that I have. And that question that you need to ask yourself is this. If every member was just like me, What kind of church would Fairview be? That's a telling question. If every member in this church was just like me, what kind of church would Fairview be? That's why we need to cry out to God and say, help, I'm a church member. Because we need to get help and assistance on what it means to be a member of a local church like Fairview Heights Baptist Church. Today, we continue our look at some of the commitments of a church member. And really, we come to the last two commitments. And I want us to consider these. And the next to last commitment that I want us to look at today is the commitment to care for others. The commitment to care for one another. That's what our church covenant talks about. That we are to care about and we are to care for the members of the local church that we belong to. And I'm using that idea of caring for one another in a very broad sense. But under it, I hope that as we go through this message, you'll see what's included. Let me remind you of something really, really good. And that is that God cares about his children. When you think nobody else cares, you can always fall back on the reality, the truth, that God 
cares about his children, that he cares about you. The Apostle Peter, when he was writing to Christians in his day, they were elect exiles that had been scattered throughout Asia Minor. And Peter told these Christians to humble themselves, lower themselves. And he tells them the way that you do that is by casting, in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon God. Why? Because he cares for you. Peter said you can humble yourself. You don't have to try to take things into your own hands. You can instead cast all of your care, all of your anxiety upon the one who cares for you. And that is good news, and that's something that someone needs to hear, that the God of heaven and earth cares about you. You might feel neglected by everyone else, but it ought to cause you to do somersaults to know that you're cared for and cared about from the most important person in all the world. And believers are to care for one another. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, he wants to make sure that they don't have divisions among them. And so he says to them in 1 Corinthians 12, 25, that they are to have the same care for one another because of the fact that they're members of the body of Christ. And he's saying as members of the body of Christ, care for one another. Have the same care for each other. It shouldn't be one-sided. It should be back and forth and back and forth. And Paul was writing to a local church when he said to that local church, your members of the body of Christ care for one another. And so the question is, how do church members fulfill their commitment to care for one another? I'm glad you asked that question. Church members fulfill their commitment to care for one another by being concerned for another's welfare. By being concerned for another's welfare. To put it in the words of our church covenant, we are to watch over one another in brotherly love. Did you hear that? We are to watch over one another in brotherly love. And I know you got an objection to that. I know you're saying to yourself, Pastor Paul, that's your job. That's why we pay you to be a full-time pastor, to watch over the people in Fairview. And some of you might be saying, well, that's really the job of the deacons and the deaconesses. That's why they maintain those watch care lists. That's their job. And I just want to say to you, based upon the word of God, your objection is being rejected. It's being overruled. You and I have a responsibility to be concerned about the well-being of each other. Everyone who's a member of Fairview 
should be concerned about the welfare of every other member. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, because I want you to see a man by the name of Timothy who watched over fellow members. I want you to understand that this concept of being concerned for one another's welfare is biblical. And biblical in the sense that it's something that is to sweep across our congregation. Paul is in prison when he writes Philippians 2.20. He's in prison because of the cause of Christ. And as he's in prison, he says to the Philippians that he is going to send Timothy to this church. And Timothy is going to find out what's going on with the church. And Paul says this about Timothy in Philippians 2.20. He says these words, For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. That's an amazing statement. Here's the Apostle Paul, and he's looking around at different people available to him. And he says, the reason why I'm sending Timothy to you is because I have no one else who's of equal soul with me who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. And the implication is caring about each other, being concerned about each other's welfare, not just spiritually, but also physically, is a responsibility that many Christians do not want to carry out. The tribe of Timothy is rare. And you know why? Paul tells us in that very next verse, in verse 21. He says they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Paul says the problem is that the majority of people, Christians who love the Lord, they seek after their own interests, not the interests of Jesus Christ. That's Paul's polite way of saying that they're violating Philippians 2.4. And in Philippians 2.4, Paul says, don't merely look out after your own interests. Don't just be concerned about yourself, but also be concerned about the interests of others. Most of us violate that. When we're not genuinely concerned about the spiritual and physical well-being of our brothers and sisters in Christ who we have joined arms with in this local church, when we don't act and think and move out of concern, then we're looking after our own interests and not the interests of Christ and not the interests of our brothers and sisters in Christ. After Cain, you remember him in Genesis 4? After Cain killed his brother, God asked Cain an important question. He asked Cain, 
Where is your brother? This is God speaking to Cain. And you know Cain's smart aleck response. Am I my brother's keeper? He has the audacity to stand before God and say, God, am I my brother's keeper? And people have been asking that question throughout the history of the church, Christian. You tell them you have a responsibility to be concerned for another's welfare. Am I my brother's keeper? Don't we pay people to do that? Don't we elect people to do that? Am I my brother's keeper? And my friends, if you're a child of God, if you're a member of a local church, you are your brother's keeper. You do have a responsibility to be concerned about the physical and spiritual well-being of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Church members fulfill their commitment to care for one another by keeping each other in mind in difficult times. Keeping each other in mind in difficult times. Or as our covenant says, that we are to remember each other. In times that we are sick and in times of distress, we are to remember each other. And this is just a reminder that Christians face difficult times. I hope you understand that. I hope you are convinced of that. I hope you have not bought into the lie of the devil that comes straight from the pit of hell, that the Christian life is tiptoeing through the tulips. I hope you do not buy into that. That is a deception from the master deception. You cannot read your Bible as a Christian and walk away from the Bible and say to yourself, everything is going to be all right. That I won't have any hardships. I won't have any difficulty. I would love to tell you this morning that you won't get sick. I would love to tell you that you won't get cancer. I would love to tell you that a loved one will not die in your family. I would love to tell you that your job will be A-OK. But that would be a lie. There are times in the plans of God, who is the master that he has different plans than what we have. Spend some time in 2 Corinthians 11 and look at the life of the Apostle Paul. He gives a litany of, of things that he has gone through. Whippings. Beatings. Hunger. This is the number one Christian in the world, so to speak. 
And yet Paul talks about dangers when he travels, dangers when he encounters people, dangers from those in the faith. How do you explain that? How do you explain that this godly man who is committed to living for God, who is sold out, who can say that Jesus Christ is his everything, and yet he goes through all of those things. The only way you can explain it is that when you realize that the Christian life includes difficult times. It does. And it's going to break our heart at times. There will be things that will happen in our family. There will be things that happen to our friends. And it will rock our boat. Things that we would never, ever want to happen to a loved one. But it happens. And so we need to understand that we live in dangerous and difficult times and Christians are not excluded. The time might come where you inform me, Pastor, I have cancer. The time might come where a a husband might say, my wife has abandoned me. And I'm not going to fall out of my seat. I'm not going to say, well, that doesn't happen to Christians. Because I know it does happen to Christians. And our church covenant knows it. That's why it talks about remembering each other in times of sickness and distress. Remembering each other. And so when you go through those difficult times, when you go through those hard times, take comfort in Psalm 23, where where David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And, And even though I might walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. He's with us. But my friends, he he wants to be with us also through the ministry of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We cannot just fall back and say, well, God is with you. I ain't with you, but God is with you. No, God wants to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ through us. Through us. James chapter 1 verse 27 Take your Bible and turn there because that's an important verse. But James talks about the fact that when you keep each other in mind in difficult times, it means you got good religion. Good religion. I'm not talking about that phony, bad, hypocritical religion that don't do nothing. I'm talking about good religion. In James chapter 1, verse 27, James talks about good religion and what that looks like. He says in verse 27 of chapter 1, This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God. This is what God says is pure and undefiled religion. What is it? To visit orphans 
and widows in their distress. Lo and behold, these are examples of people in distress, orphans who don't have any parents, widows who have lost their mate. And when that takes place, when that happens, James said, good religion visits them. And the idea of that word visit is to make a house call. It used to be what was true of doctors in our country. That you didn't have to go to a hospital. They would come to your house and make a house call. So here James is saying, if your religion is good, if your religion is pure, you will be committed to those who are in distress and hardship. And he just mentions two examples, widows and orphans. There are others. You can look around in our church and you can find individuals who are in distress. You can find individuals who are sick. They're on the prayer list. They're on the inside of the bulletin on the prayer sheet. People who are sick, people who had recent surgeries, etc. Good religion, pure religion, true religion says that you keep those individuals in mind. And at a bare minimum, that means you're praying for them. Have you been praying for members who are sick and in distress? If you can't do anything else, one of the best things we can do is to cry out to God in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are members of this church. It might mean that you Pick up your phone and call the individual. It might mean you send them a card. It might mean that you are part of providing them with a meal. It might mean that you actually visit. Now, I know from a practical point of view, even though our church is small, that one member can't do all of that for everybody. But I do know that it's sin if we don't do that for anybody. We might not be able to do for everybody, but, but there ought to be at least one that we can do this for. Where we keep them in mind in, in difficult and hard times. Church members fulfill their responsibility, their commitment to care for one another when they are sympathetic and courteous. In the words of our covenant, we are to cultivate sympathy in feeling and courtesy in speech. Sympathy in feeling and courtesy in speech. You might have thought that when you deal with caring for people, that this isn't a part of it. If you can't sympathize with people, it's going to be very hard to care for them. And if you don't know how to talk to people, it's going to be hard to care for them. And so the covenant is bringing out something that scripture also brings out. 
that is difficult for us. It's a reminder that before we got saved, we weren't sympathetic and we weren't courteous in our speech. It's a reminder that we need to get saved. That the only way that we can be sympathetic, express Christian sympathy, the only way we can be courteous in speech, we got to get saved. We got to make sure that we have repented of our sins and put our faith in Christ alone for salvation. That can't just be a notion or a thought. That has to be a reality. This is impossible to experience being sympathetic and courteous in the way that the covenant talks about. And I like the fact that it says cultivate. Got to grow it. Got to take it from A to B, B to C and C to D. Got to let it grow in our life so that it's bearing some fruit. It's not either or, but it's something that requires a process. Believers are to be sympathetic in their feelings. That they can sympathize with what others in the local church are going through. We are to follow the example of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 4.15, it says that we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. That's mind-boggling because Jesus has never sinned, but yet the scripture says he has been tempted in all ways, and so he can sympathize with us. He knows what you're going through. He can feel with you what's going on in your life. He's not some inanimate person that doesn't have any kind of feelings or emotions. You remember when he was on earth, on that occasion, when he looked over the mountain and saw Israel, the nation of Israel, and and it said that he wept over them. He cried over them. And, And so we are to be sympathetic in feelings. There are times when we are next to our brother, our sister in Christ, where the only thing we can do is weep with them. Let the tears come. We don't have words to explain what they're going through. But we sympathize. Because sometimes we've gone through it. But even if we haven't gone through it, we are to fail with them. Romans 12, verse 15 says that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You heard we got an Olympic athlete here, gold medalist. My daughter, gold medalist. Man, we have weep with her and we have rejoice with her. We have. That's, that's the life of the athlete. They're not always on top of the mountain. Sometimes they're in the valley. 
And my friends, when it comes to our Christian brothers and sisters in Christ, there's sometimes that they're down in the valley. And will you sympathize with them? Will you weep with them? Will you come alongside of them and be sympathetic in feeling? Or will you just stand on top of them and drive them further down into the valley? And sympathy doesn't just show itself in our feelings, but it also shows itself in our speech. That's why it says being courteous in speech. Now, I spent a lot of time on Wednesday night Bible studies talking about the tongue, tongue control, talking about the power and the danger of the tongue. And and no wonder the covenant is saying, look, if you're going to deal with people and care for people, you got to be courteous in speech. You can't have an untamed wild tongue and you're trying to care for a brother or sister in Christ. There's a passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. I'm going to ask that you look at that at a later time, but it talks about after Peter addresses citizens and servants and wives and husbands, he said, let me sum it all up. And one of the things that he says in that passage is be sympathetic. Be sympathetic with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he goes on. He says, uh, uh, when you experience evil, don't return evil. When you experience insult, don't return insult. Instead, give a blessing. Now you give a blessing, not with monetary gifts, so to speak, but with a word of encouragement, with a fitly apt word that encourages and uplifts and helps a person. Christians are to sympathize together. They are to give a blessing with their speech. And so I ask you the question, are you a sympathetic Christian? Has God tenderize your heart so that you feel with other Christians. You do know that the Bible says that we are to be tender-hearted. Not hard-hearted, not cold-hearted, but tender-hearted. Put yourself in that person's place and sometimes you got to back up And back away from how you're caring for that brother or sister in Christ. The last way that the church member fulfills the commitment to care for one another is by prioritizing reconciliation over resentment. I like the way the church covenant puts it. Be slow to be offended and quick to reconcile. Do I need to say that again? Be slow to be offended and quick to reconcile. 
Because guess what? When you are caring for one another, when you are involved in each other's lives, things don't always go as planned. Sometimes somebody might say the wrong word or do the wrong thing. Boom, I'm quick. I'm out of the blocks. I'm offended. How dare you look at me that way? How dare you not talk to me? How dare you send that text message or that email? Quick to be offended. You're going to get offended in the local church. Because we're all sinners saved by grace. We're not perfect people. And people are going to rub us the wrong way. We're going to get offended. But, but be slow to be offended. Instead, be quick to be reconciled. I think what uh, that is saying is live in peace with one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.13, the last part, Paul says to those Christians that they are to live in peace with one another. Live in peace with one another. There's so, so many things that can go wrong in a local church. When they go wrong, don't have a hissy fit. Just chill. Let's chill. Might as well, because it's going to come along later on, too. Oh, you, you said something. I'm offended. Oh, you didn't do what I thought you were going to. I'm offended. Be slow to be offended and quick to be reconciled. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Hebrews 12, 14, verse 8 says, pursue peace with all men. If we're going to do that with all men, got to do it with those in the body of Christ. Be at peace with all men. It's interesting when Paul gives that command to Live in peace with one another. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 13, in the very next verse, he talks about ministry. He says, admonish the unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. That's caring for one another. See a brother or sister in the body of Christ whose life is out of the order? Admonish that brother or sister. See someone who, who's faint-hearted? Encourage that brother or sister. See someone who can't stand up on their own in the Christian life? Throw your arms around and hold that person up. And it's interesting, after all of that, that the very next command that Paul gives to the Thessalonians is be patient. Be patient with all men and and see to it that no one repays evil for evil. Isn't that interesting? Admonish the unruly, 
Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient. Paul didn't have his head buried in the sand. He knew that when Christians care for one another, it could get messy. And so the question is, do you have a patient heart? Do you have a forgiving heart? Church member, when the race is on in your life between reconciliation and resentment, who wins the race? Scripture says reconciliation should always win the race. Let me end very quickly by mentioning the very last commitment. We talked about the commitment to walk together in Christian love. We pointed out the fact that we are to love the church, uh, that we are to be a devoted family member. Last Sunday, we talked about living as a light in the world. And I've just mentioned the fact that we are to care for one another. But there's one last commitment of the church member, and that is the commitment to church membership. I know you probably think I just made that up because I'm looking for people to join Fairview, but I didn't. That's in the church covenant. And let me just read it. It's in your outline also, but let me just read it. This is what you agreed to when you said you wanted to be a member of Fairview. We moreover agree that when we leave the membership of this church, we will as soon as possible unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. The the church covenant is arguing for church membership. I, I know some people don't believe in that, but my understanding of scripture is that church membership is biblical. That you are to be a part and a member of a good local church. No ifs, ands, buts about it. Yes, you must be born again. Yes, you are to be baptized, but you need to be a part of a local church. And when you leave this local church, if God moves you on for some reason and you are to leave Fairview, you are agreeing, you have agreed that you're going to find another local church that you can join so that you can practice this covenant and practice the principles of the word of God. So I leave it there. The commitment to church membership. So it's my prayer, Fairview, and even for those who aren't members of Fairview, that our examination of the church covenant has been and will be a blessing to each and every one of you. There is no need to throw up your hands and cry, help, I'm a church member. Take those hands and grab the church covenant and it will help you to be a more better church member. It will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time of looking at the church covenant. 
that is rooted and grounded in your word. Father, help us to be better church members who are members of Fairview. Help us to reflect and think about our church covenant as it guides us and directs us on what it is that you would want us to do as members of this local church. Father, I pray for those who still are wondering, still are questioning, whether it's your will, your plan for them to be a member of a local church. I pray, O oh God, that they will come to you and ask you to open their eyes to see that church membership is biblical. Father, I pray that you would, by your spirit, help us and aid us to fulfill these different agreements, these commitments that we have made. Thank you for the wonderful picture and the wonderful prospect of what it means to be a church member. We commit ourselves to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.